Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 189. Welcome back, everybody. How was your week? My week was great. We were at the same parade this morning. We were, and I did not see you. I was on the other side of the parade. I was ushered into the file down this way too, guys, area. (laughs) And I was like, like, I'm going to stop right here at the beginning because I want to leave as soon as I can. (laughs) Yeah, I'll go to the very end of the parade. So I didn't see you. And it was funny because I started to like – when I like because of the way that it was kind of I was all the way at the end and then the way that the children started to like uh like fall in with each other yeah I was like oh Louise like my daughter wasn't even gonna walk past me and I was like what the heck and I caught myself being like where's the organization guys but then I was like I am not volunteered to help at this parade like I don't have a right to complain about jack shit like these people are literally hurting like <laughs> Hundreds of children, seven hundred children. Yes, like what? And so, and I just like kind of weaseled my way through the crowd and was able to like find a corner where I could actually see my daughter. But I mean, so this was a uh, at our kids' school. This was a book parade, so they all dress yes. up as book characters. But I think what we should be talking about instead of our kids' parade, yeah, is so stupid. 80s dance night. (laughs) I mean, what could we actually say? Except, no, we can say a lot of things and we will. Um, So we will now release the name of the location. If anybody else wants to come and party with us, it's a place called 57th Fighter Group, which is like like where my dad likes to have Father's Day. It is an old man's paradise. It is a World War II themed restaurant on a (laughs) runway. (laughs) Like you walk in and it's decorated like you're walking into a bunker. Yeah. It's all like, you know, sandbags and like a bunker. (laughs) And and then with like outside, there's like There's like a Jeep and a plane. Yeah. Yeah, Like World War II. I mean, you go in the bathroom and there's like an inspirational radio program from World War II that I think like was sent out to the troops. It's like, gentlemen, we're going to get on to the bunkers and then we're going to storm Normandy. (laughs) I don't know what happened in World War II. (laughs) But all that happened. But that's going on while you're in the bathroom. (laughs) I know. It's kind of like disorienting, to be honest with you. But um. Yeah, so this place is just kind of like for the food is like, you know, steak and, yeah. you know, that kind of um, – but I feel like I should touch on this dinner. Okay, so we had dinner, started at 6.15. Which was so fun. Amazing. Um, and the all of the servers that are there are, you know, they're like teens. They're like teenagers, but like that – we all had a soft spot in our heart for that because we were all teenage servers. You know yes. what I mean? We all had jobs when we were young. And so, you know – did things take a long time? Yeah. <laughs> were things forgotten? Of course they were. But there was an instance, uh, an incident, I should an say. An incident, yeah. Um, where, okay, so two salads came out. One salad had salmon on it, the other salad not. Yeah. But they were two different kinds of salads. Fine. And the server looks at her friend and says, do you mind if I just – move the salmon to the other salad. Both women, cool as hell, are like, I really don't care. That's totally fine. We assumed it would be with utensils. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. <laughs> it was. We all watched in complete disbelief and shock as this sweet boy <laughs> took his bare hands, wrapped them around the salmon, <laughs> Lifted it up to place it on the other salad, and then it flopped off onto the table, which he then picked up again with said hands and put back on the salad. And our poor sweet, we all just sat there like, 
is this happening? And, but we all didn't want to be like, excuse me, sir. Like, <laughs> that is this is not acceptable. We all wanted to be the coolest. Yeah. You know, and we were being the absolute coolest to the point where our poor friend ate salmon that was she, touched by another human that had been touching a lot of things that day. She, I mean, she ate hand salmon. We were she, like, how was that hand salmon? <laughs> She was so cool about it. Like she just like was like, "You guys, I'm fucking starving." And we're like, "Cause at that point we've been waiting forever for the food." Yeah. And so we were like, "Dude, eat, eat." None of us are judging. Eat the salmon. <laughs> but still, that was just kind of the best part. Was the next day when everybody was Venmoing Sally because she, you know, picked up the check. She noted it as like, "What were the emojis exactly?" <laughs> it was like martini glass salad. Fish hand. <laughs> Perfect. That kid, that kid, it was like he thought he was like a, a grizzly bear and he was catching the salmon with his big grizzly bear hands. That's what it looked like. <laughs> it was, he, he mangled that thing. Oh, that was it was something. so, it was something. It really And was. then he just disappeared because I think he realized that he fucked up. Yeah, and he, he never came disappeared. back. He disappeared for like... <laughs> Almost an hour, and I had to go tell on him. <laughs> I had to go be like, "Hey guys, we just really want to see our server. We just would really we want to go dance. Like we just, and of course, yeah. we're like dressed, dressed eighties. We are eight women in our forties, dressed to the nines, eighties, head to toe. While everybody else in the restaurant eating isn't a man." over like Mimas and Peepaws. Yeah, yes. we're like, what the fuck is happening? And so we're obviously <laughs> there for this 80s dance party. And we're like, listen, we just want to go dance. We don't give a shit. We're going to tip him well. It is fine. Just like, please give us our check. <laughs> we need some more drinks. <laughs> I know. I really needed a drink at that point. Another drink at that point, I would say. Um, but speaking of our costumes, mm-hmm. so Sally and I dressed up as Heather's. She was yes. Heather. Obviously, I was Veronica. <laughs> and um, there was a costume contest. And who won? Me and Sally. <gasps> best we the- couples costume. Best couples costume. <laughs> yeah. I think – so we won a gift card to go back there. <laughs> yeah. So we will. And we will. <laughs> we'll take all of you guys with us. But the, the dance party was just like – it was perfect. It was – Huge, like there was plenty of room to like breathe and be, yep. but there were still a lot of people. Um, we were the youngest, which made yeah. me feel really good about myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we got we got propositioned by by a, a couple of older gentlemen, but we were very sure much did. like, listen, we're just gonna hang out. We just want to <laughs> dance with our girlfriends. <laughs> Back off, people. <laughs> we're not looking for sugar daddies. <laughs> No, but in the meantime, behind money. you guys' back, I was like, you come here. I'll talk to you. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but no, we had, the, we had the best time. And um, yeah, definitely recommend it. If anybody wants to go with us, let us know. I, I believe there's a 90s night coming up soon. There's a 90s um, night. And will we be, de- be dressing up? Yes. Yes, we will. We're going to take it through the decades. We're going to see how far we can go with this (laughs) and how many costume contests we could win. Oh, it was, it was great. It was really great. And I'll tell you, I mean, not to be so sincere about it, but what I loved was it was almost, I mean, it was 80% women who were there Mm -hmm. and just women there with their girlfriends and everybody was just having the most fun not giving a shit about what anybody else thought like everybody was just dancing with abandon like jumping around having a great time and it was just so fun to see that much joy like every anytime you go to the bathroom somebody would be like oh my god isn't this the best I love your costume you look so great I can't it's so fun to see people dressed up like it just was so much joy and we were in a Uber on our way home by 11 and it was so great. That was the best part. <laughs> the best part was that we yeah. all hit the wall at the exact same time. Like you could see it. It's like, we're dancing, we're dancing, we're having fun. And then everybody was just kind of like, yeah, I think I'm done. I think I'm done yeah. here. Time to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It was uh, so fun though. I'm so, I think I just like learned about it from, I, I saw like a friend of mine liked 
an event on Facebook and I was like, what is this? I'm sorry. And then I sent it to you and then I was like, we're going. And I'm so glad that we did. Yeah. Yes. The best time. It was, it was redeemed Johnny's in every way. So yeah, you can have your Johnny's Johnny (laughs) and all the other Johnny's that go have it, keep it. We don't need you, Johnny. We'll be in our bunker (laughs) (laughs) with all the hot peapaws. Um, right. no, that's fine. Well, that let's get into time. our yeah. Let's get into our quickies. Okay. I am going first this week. I've got a real fun quickie for you. Okay. Uh, this is a listicle for BuzzFeed.com, written by Victoria Voluminos. Um, that's a great name. Great it's a great um, name. She compiled a list that people are revealing the opinions and behaviors that immediately gave them the ick. And a lot of them are pretty fair, is what she says. So somebody asked on Reddit um, mm-hmm. it, that said, what opinion or behavior would you would stop you from being romantically interested in someone even if they ticked every other box? So imagine the person you meet is like perfect in every way except for they did this one thing and then you're like, oh, no. Oh, this is like a so, like chew with your mouth open or – Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, these are – I'm just going to name some because I'm not going to do all 45. This one, I will say, I know that this is a new thing and it that came about over the last few years, but I made the mistake of using this word for a long time and I didn't know it was a bad thing. Which the, but this person, uh, Chloe Brown, 25 Shearer, said, using terms like females – and feminazis or slut or body shaming. Obviously, the the last right. three. But I didn't know until a few years ago that you really shouldn't use the term female. I don't know if there is something innately wrong with it, but I do find that men who use like, oh, all females, females tell me this. It's like yeah. it, it's like a very incel kind of word. Yes, like it's and like you. Oh, you the you are very much othering us, and that is like just in your language of the way they say it. I think that does give me the X as well. Yes, and the way I, that I learned to come. The way I came to learn about this was um, with the use of the term female comic. Because oh, I was yeah. like, me and other female comics, like, you shouldn't call yourself a female comic. And I was like, well, I mean, other women that are comics. So, like, say it like that, but you shouldn't say female comic. It's, like, derogatory. And I was like, but but it's my word to use. <laughs> right? I think – I feel like that context is – Different. I mean, I guess it's just saying like because you're using female in front of comic, you're saying that like that is a separate type of comic rather than like I'm a comic and I'm a female. Like I, I think it's yeah. yeah. But I was trying to differentiate a group of people by saying that we were women who are comics. Yeah. But anyway, um, so this next one is a COVID denier. Yeah, that would do it for um, yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another one I'm guilty of. This one says, uh, saying they hate cats. Hating an entire animal species because you had a bad experience with one of them comes off as very judgmental. It also reeks of toxic masculinity. Does it? Because I'm pretty sure cats are just fucking assholes. <laughs> Sorry. I cats mean, you are the fucking worst. I'm not going to pile on this one because I have gone on record as not loving them. (laughs) I don't hate all cats. Some cats are awesome. I was actually very close to getting a cat recently, and I'm so glad that a friend (laughs) talked me out of it. It was all for my daughter and to help out a friend who was trying to find a home for a cat. No, if somebody's trying to rehome a cat, there is a reason. Jen, there is a reason. I made that mistake once where this this guy was like, oh, I can't move into – I can't take this cat to my new apartment because my my new roommates are allergic. And so my roommate Bethany and I took this cat home and this cat was crazy and its name was Cat. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, now you're going to feel terrible because it was – my friend's father-in-law no. passed away. Okay. Well, <laughs> and Jesus so, Christ. <laughs> well, there you go. Now you, well, now, obviously, there was a reason. Take it in. <laughs> there was a reason. But they're trying to find a home for this cat. I hope that they did. If anybody's looking for a really sweet cat, it's really beautiful. And I, I was tempted, but then luckily another mutual friend of ours popped on the Marco Polo to be like, Jen, you don't want that cat. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'll take She was like, don't know. Don't know. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, this p- 
person said, I'm referring to their ex-girlfriends as psycho or crazy. It's a huge red flag to me. Yeah. Yes. Totally agreed. Yeah. Um, this one says, anyone who uses the bullshit line, you're not like other girls. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh, yeah. I know. No. And I also hate when people say that about themselves or like, I'm not like other girls. It's like, well, then yeah. you fucking hate women. You know what? <laughs> you should yeah. want to be like other girls. Girls are I, cool. I don't like when um, – and I'm so tempted to start this sentence by saying, I'm the kind of person that I'm, – I'm the kind of person that – it cringes when someone says that a lot on dates. See, I'm the kind of person that the I'm the kind of guy that da, 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 I'm the kind of guy. It's like just tell me who you are. You know what I mean? Like it's just yes. like it's one thing to use that phrase every once in a while, but when like every other sentence out of your mouth is like, "See, I'm the kind of guy that like it feels like you're painting trying to paint a picture for me." Yes, and I of would who say you that think you are. 90% of the time when someone says, I'm the kind of person that it is wrong. It is not yeah. right. <laughs> it is, you are not that kind of person. <laughs> yeah. It's always like, I'm the kind of person that's like super chill about like everything and like nothing bothers me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're like the most high strung person I've ever met, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> this one is a no brainer. Uh, people who don't take care of their kids and are more interested in themselves and being a good parent. Yeah, uh, I agreed. There's not. I mean, it's just it's like I don't care who you are, but if you have like three kids out there and you don't like you have no interest in like in them at all or you're not involved in their lives, like I just cannot respect that. <laughs> just nothing about that I yeah. can respect. That's further down here too. It's like yeah. if you um someone who doesn't live with their children or have shared custody, that's a huge red flag. Which agreed. Agreed. Um, this one says the biggest deal breaker for me is using and abusing alcohol, tobacco products, recreational drugs, or any combination thereof. Mm. I think. Fucking loser. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't like people that smoke cigarettes. I can't. No, I, can't I, I mean, well, and we learned last week that you, that you think crack is whack. So yeah, it gets a bad rap. <laughs> <Apparently>. <laughs> Um, no, I think my deal breaker. I'm sorry. Yeah. I would think especially at this age, like in my forties, it's just, it's just so lame. (laughs) Obviously, like I like to go out, have a good time. I'm not like opposed to any kind of recreational whatever. Um, and I also understand that smoking is so addictive, but I think as far as a romantic partner, I would just find it like, it's just exhausting. I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, this one says, uh, went on a hiking date with someone who littered. There was no second date. That would be a yes, deal breaker for me. That would be a huge yeah. deal breaker. Can you imagine litter? Like, no. <laughs> I know we sound like, what, litter bugs? <laughs> or if somebody like threw trash out the window, oh my God, immediately uh, stop the car. Yeah. I'm getting out. <laughs> this is a good one. Okay. This one says tantrums or anger issues. Uh, And then she tells the story. I was on a date with a guy and we went into a busy Starbucks in central London. He was vegan and they accidentally put cream on his iced frappuccino. Instead of politely asking they change it, he took off the lid and scooped out the cream out with his hand. But then he proclaimed that there was still cream in it. So he threw the drink on the ground in the middle of the (gasps) Starbucks. Um, when I told him after the date that I didn't want to see him again, he said, I was clearly looking for someone posh who wears tweed. No, babe. I just don't want a rude arsehole. That was very British, that one. The whole thing. I loved it. Top to bottom. (laughs) But, um, I, yeah, I agreed. Like if someone on your first date shows like anger issues, that's. Not cool. Or like is rude to a waiter. Like, yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a a big red flag for for me. Not only being rude to the waiter, because this kind of goes hand in hand, but when you don't look at the server when you're ordering. Yeah. Somebody who like doesn't even acknowledge the server as a person is just like. Yeah. Like if you're looking. Yeah. If you like, it's one thing if you're reading. 
and yes. you so you're reading it off, then you look at them. But if you're just just like laser focused and on everything else but the person that's talking to you, and you can't even like look at them, that's such a red flag for me. Yes, I agree. I that. This one says being very rude or condescending towards your own family without any good reason. I went on a date with someone I'd like for ages, and at some point he was just dunking on his little sister for studying to be a hairdresser while he was going to university. He also kept talking about how nobody in his family could think critically. I completely understand that some people have genius, genuine issues with their family, but this wasn't the case here. He just thought he was so much better than all of them, like he had somehow been able to cast off the shell shackles of his origin. Now, don't get me wrong. I definitely um, don't always see eye to eye. I with family, but ultimately they raised me and I respect them. His level of disrespect towards the people that raised him jump started me into seeing that he was actually very condescending towards anyone who didn't measure up to his perceived standards. Yeah, I would think that that, yeah, I think that that would uh, just apply like across the board. It's like if somebody is talking about themselves in a way that is like they have to put down others to like show that they're so smart and cool, like that's just such a turnoff. Agreed. Um, this one says not believing in dinosaurs <laughs> or, or not believing dinosaurs are real. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, this one says. Um, I feel like these are like very fundamental no's. Like these are like, oh, these are these are real red flags rather than just like, oh, this is an irrational thing. Like I don't like boat shoes. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> or like trench coats, you know, like that kind of thing. Oh, don't get me started on the trench coat thing again. I did prove you wrong. Remember? You did send me I, a bunch of pictures of hot guys in trench coats. You did. And you agreed that they were hot. I agreed that they were hot. I'm not saying all guys in trench coats are hot. I'm saying trench coats can be hot. Trench coats can be hot, on but the also right they can person. be super creepy and weird. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> I'm just saying not all trench coats. Not all tr- <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag not all trench coats. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. This one says, if they don't even attempt to get along with my friends. Agreed. Mm. This one kind of goes without saying, if the person you are dating makes you feel small, not in a physical sense, mm. but like you're less than them, I've learned that's my first sign to book it out of there. And that's mm-hmm. true. And it's um, because I, a lot of men do do that. And um, a friend of mine was telling me about this. That it, I mean, it's a wildly famous book, but it's called like The Rules of Seduction or The Art of Seduction or something like that. And it's basically like teaching men how to get women. And like it's the rules of, of the game? Disgusting. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Or it, I think it's like in the same vein mm, but they mm-hmm. talk about how yeah yeah nagging women or yeah. making them feel smaller than you or not complimenting them or whatever and it's like it's so transparent when men do that and it's just the biggest turn off immediately no and- i want somebody who's like on board with sally <laughs> like who yeah. is like you are amazing i think you're great like because that's what i want to do for somebody else like Exactly. Why, like, if you why guys, would you not? <laughs> exactly. If you can't gas each other up or if you want somebody to gas you up, but then you are uh, try to keep them small by not like complimenting them or making them feel good about themselves, then that just shows how insecure you are as a person. Yeah. And it's so unattractive. I have no so, time for that. I have I no, no time, time for that. For that <laughs> I got no time without friends. I'm like no time without with partners. No, no time. Yeah. Um. This person, this is a stupid one to say. This one says, if they like me back, can't date people with awful taste. Yeah, then you're probably right. Then you're probably right. That's a dumb thing to say. <laughs> it's dumb. Uh, and this one just says, uh, thinking, this is the last one I'll do, thinking housework is women's work. Yeah, that would be yeah. a red flag for me. Yeah, so. I, I find it really like annoying when people are like, oh, I don't know how to iron. I can't, I don't like just can't do basic things that you're like, but you could learn. We can all learn. Yeah. Everybody like, has the capacity. 
<laughs> I wouldn't say that my mom taught me how to iron or my mom taught me how to do laundry or sew or cook or mm-hmm. like I this isn't a knock on my mom. I'm just saying most of the shit that I know how to do it's because I fucking taught myself or I Googled. And there's yeah. no reason. You know what I mean? You got YouTube now. Yeah. Figure it YouTube out. YouTube that shit. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Dr. Dude Fuck was telling me the other day, she was like, her husband was out of town. She's like, you know what I did? I just YouTubed how to chainsaw and I chainsawed some shit because <laughs> she lives on a on a ranch and so they, something needed to be chainsawed. And she was just like, I was just like, why am I waiting for my husband to do this? Yes. I can chainsaw. <laughs> Amazing. I was like, get at it. <laughs> yeah. I'm jealous of her ability to hold a chainsaw. I tried it that was, once. It was probably it a really work. small. It was like an extra small chainsaw. Don't feel bad. <laughs> she chainsawed and that's what matters. That's what matters. <laughs> well, that was a good one. I Let me see. I have a very quick quickie. Okay. This is from the New York Post. It's an article by Asia Grace. Um, okay. So this just made me laugh really hard. So this is, um, from a TikTok post, a TikTok user named Squidward, uh, recently made a post about her wedding invitations. So she said, I got my wedding invitations in the mail today and I made a very large mistake. So she goes on to show these like gorgeous and you know how expensive wedding invitations are. I'm sure they're like beyond what we ever contemplated as how much they cost. So these are like gold trimmed. They're like the raised, you know, writing, like just beautiful, very classy yeah. invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's showing the RSVP card that says, kindly respond by the 1st of March on our wedding website. And then the website is listed below. And the website is pornhub.com. <gasps> Wow. <laughs> she said she forgot she put the site in as a funny placeholder like she did they didn't hadn't made their wedding website yet when oh. she like first did the like how they wanted it to be laid out and then she submitted it without changing it oh my god that's so funny well oh if she god. has the sense of humor that would put that in there as a placeholder she probably has a pretty good sense of humor that could yeah stomach so- <laughs> So it's also on like her reception info cards. It says, for more wedding details, please visit our website, Pornhub.com. Oh my God. And then um, this was a, a very New York Post quote. It said, and the something old, something new, something borrowed, something lewd misprint wasn't her only oh. flub. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to like say blue, but spell it B-L-E-W. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's, that's actually... <laughs> That's clever, Jen. No, <laughs> Lude is better. Lude, Lude is better. Okay. Um, uh, but she also had put in a placeholder about lodging for like out-of-town guests. And she said, I forgot I put the Super 8 Motel as a placeholder until we figure out hotels we were going to block off. If you're a guest, I promise I didn't block off rooms at the Super 8 Motel. Oh, my God. So That's she, so funny. <laughs> yeah, she offered an apology to her friends and family and most notably her mom. She said, Mom, I'm sorry. I will fix it. She said, I think it's funny personally, but I don't think anybody else is going to think it's funny, especially my family and Nate's family and literally anyone else. Um, But of course, like people on TikTok were like, this is hilarious. Um, And one person said, I didn't realize I was invited to your wedding because I go to that website every day. (laughs) Which is great. And then someone else was like, I think this is hilarious. I checked my invites a thousand times before I finalized because I did the same thing. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I love that. It's just so great to see it because we'll post a picture, but they're just like, they're so classy. And (laughs) goes to Pornhub.com. I love her. I just think is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Big fan. Big um, of her, not Pornhub. Yeah. But I mean, also Pornhub, I guess. <laughs> <Let me come. laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a crazy story this week? Yes. Is it good? Right. I don't want to. I don't want a bullshit story. Give me something good. Say no bullshit story, Sally. <laughs> Good one. Um, this story came from uh, an article for the New York Post by Stephanie Nolasco, uh, an article for Indie88.com, and an article for CBS News by Peter Van Sant, um, and also an episode of Who the Bleep Did I Marry? I love it. 
who the bleep did they marry? Um, That's what I want to know. I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Ramon Sosa started boxing at the age of seven. He grew up in Puerto Rico and um, he boxed there, but then he later moved to Texas. Um, He became a pro boxer at the age of 17 when he was still in high school. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I'm sure any boxing fan that's listening to this is like, yeah, you don't know Ramon Sosa. Like, I'm pretty sure he was a really famous boxer, but you know, I'm more of a, you know, who the bleep did I marry fan than a boxing fan. But yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, when he was in his twenties, he was married and he had three kids, but the marriage did not last. It sadly ended um, due to the fact that he was like constantly traveling with boxing and stuff. So they divorced yeah. in uh, 2000 after nine years of being married. Um, he uh, loved his children very much and always put them first, he said. But he decided to start thinking about dating again in 2007. <clears throat> so one night he ended up going to this nightclub during the summer. It was a nightclub called Miluna, which is in Houston. He got all dressed up, all fancy and went out and he noticed this like gorgeous woman with long black hair. She was wearing a mini dress and um, she approached him. And when she approached him, she accidentally stepped on his foot and um, she apologized for stepping on his foot. And he was like, well, will you dance with me? You know, to make it up first yeah. out of so uh so they danced together and he told her that he um worked with kids and was a boxer um he he worked with kids with boxing um you know teaching kids how to box and basically keeping kids on the right path and off the streets and and in the gym sort of thing mm-hmm. um and her name was Maria Durantes uh, but everybody called her Lulu she had moved to Houston from Mexico with with her two children. And um, she uh, told him that she cleaned houses to make a living and support her family. Um, and he was instantly in love with her. They dated and his sister and his mother actually loved her because she was so sweet to him and she took care of him and like she cooked for him and she was his biggest supporter when it came to his boxing. Yeah. And after a year and a half of dating, he ended up asking her to marry him. She said yes. And just a week later, she started planning the wedding. Um, so wow. right after. Yeah. So yeah. they ended up getting married at the Montgomery County Courthouse. They ended up having a party afterward at his older sister's, oldest sister's house. Um, but his kids actually didn't go to the wedding. They were upset that like he didn't include them in his plans to propose or any of the wedding plans. And it just hurt their feelings and they didn't go. Mm-hmm. And I think that they just like didn't really care for her, to be honest. And so yeah. Ramon was very hurt and Lulu was upset that that they didn't go. And that by them not going, that's what put like the hugest wedge in between Lulu and Ramon's children. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2010, Ramon and Lulu ended up opening a gym together. It was called Woodlands Boxing Gym. Um, they put all of their like blood, sweat and tears into the gym. They did whatever they could to make it successful. And it eventually was. So Ramon was living his dream. He owned his own gym. He had this beautiful wife. They bought this big house. Um, But of course, like always with more money came more problems. Mm -hmm. And Lulu spent money. She, Apparently, she would spend it on herself and her kids. But if Ramon ever wanted to spend money on himself or his kids, she would become very upset. Mm. Um, Ramon's daughter competed in beauty pageants. And when Ramon told Lulu that he was going to buy her a dress for the pageant, um, she like completely flipped out and flew off the handle. Um, So after their um, third anniversary... Lulu ended up applying for American citizenship for her and her two kids and her mother. And one day Ramon came home to his house and found that Lulu was actually having a party with like American flags everywhere with like friends and 
Um, he asked her what was going on. And she said that she was celebrating her new American citizenship. And he was like, what the hell? Like, why was I not invited? <laughs> right. <laughs> By your husband. You know, so he thought that was really weird. So it made him feel like marry him to become a citizen. And now that yeah. you are, you know what I mean? Like, is right. that why you're with me? And she said to him, um, look how beautiful I am. I can have any man. I could have uh, make any man marry me, but I chose you because I love you. Which like, oh, that <laughs> was a choice. Yeah. Um, so uh, Ramon took Lulu to Puerto Rico um, on vacation and things were going really well um, during their vacation, except for um, when they got back at the to the hotel and they were laying on the bed and relaxing, Lulu was looking at her social media um, and scrolling through her phone and she saw a picture of his daughter and he said to Ramon, look at your daughter looking like a prostitute. Mm. Rude as hell. And so if, needless to say, he was pissed and they got into a fight. And when they got into the fight, Lulu grabbed his phone and said that she he was gonna um, she was gonna call Ramon's mother, and he was like, you know, don't drag my mom into this, or right? Whatever. So he took the phone from her, and that's when she ran out of the room. And when she came back, she had security guards with her. Um, and so Ramon looked down and she had scratches all over her hand and she had told the security guards that he had attacked her. They were separated by the security guards and they were made to sleep in different rooms that night. Um, and mm. apparently, according to Ramon, that one of the security guards said to him, watch out for that lady. Now, I want to say when I'm saying all of this and I'm saying I'm repeating to you what these what it was in the television show what was in these articles but as a woman I do want to say that even though we're painting the picture obviously that something's wrong with this woman in these instances we don't know the truth right he could have we don't know yeah you know what I mean so like let's take both Let's take that into consideration that even though maybe something might happen at the end of the story to make you realize that this lady is crazy, <laughs> still, if there are two people in a room and something went down and there you only have two people's stories, you have to consider both people's stories when it comes yes. to domestic disputes. Okay? That's all okay. I'm saying. Okay. Okay. So anyway, so- the next morning, Ramon was in the lobby, and um, Lulu walked up to him with his lug with her luggage and a piece of paper in her hand. And the piece of paper was a report that um, she had made of what happened the night before. Ramon was pissed because it was all a lie. And then he said that when they were on the plane ride home, she actually fell asleep with her head on his shoulder, like, you know, like being affectionate. Mm. And he looked down and he looked at all the scratches all over her hands. And he said that he knew he didn't do that. So he, he said that he thought to himself, like, this is one crazy lady. So when they got back, things ended up uh, getting even more awkward between the two of them. And they kind of avoided each other, but them, but then they decided that they would go on another vacation together to try to work things out rekindle things but this time the vacation was in Mexico where she was from so Lulu had planned everything out and mapped everything out because it was like where she was from so there was a very specific itinerary places that she wanted them to go and one was a town called Tepito and apparently this town is home to one of the dangerous black markets in Mexico City mm. like it's like not a nice place to go right. um, but she told Ramon that she wanted to go there because she wanted to buy some like knockoff designer bags and stuff but um he said he just didn't want to go cuz he had heard it was like not a not a great place so they ended up not going there um, but after they got home back to Texas, things continued to be tense. And one night she walked into the house and ran right up to him and um, punched him right in the face out of nowhere and busted what? his lip. And he was like completely in shock, you know, because he was not expecting that. And yeah. um, he could tell that she was looking at him like she wanted him to hit her back, but he he like refused to hit her. 
And yeah. so she started spreading rumors around the gym that he was abusive, that he was drunk. She said that he was stealing, that he was a drunk, sorry, and that mm-hmm. he was um, stealing money from a nonprofit. She was basically trying to get him to divorce her. But when mm-hmm. he wasn't divorcing her in February of 2015, she actually served him with divorce papers. But so they were going through this divorce, but they were still working at the gym together. Um, oh, right. Yeah. And so there was a, a guy named Mundo that worked at their gym. Um, Mundo was a boxer when he was young, but then unfortunately got involved with gangs um, at, at, when he was a little bit older and he went to prison. But when he got out of prison, he uh, wanted to turn his life around. So he found Ramon. Um, wanted his help getting his life together and on the right path. So Ramon gave him a job. He started working at the gym. Mundo started working at the gym and he would train with kids that also needed help getting their lives back on track. And he was super grateful to Ramon for giving him that opportunity and helping him change his life around. But Lulu started talking a lot with Mundo, a little too much. Mm -hmm. Um, so one day Mundo actually called Ramon and said that like listen I have to tell you something Um, he said like I have some pretty bad news to tell you Lulu wants you dead Um, yeah he said that he overheard Lulu's daughter telling Lulu that there was a kid in the gym that had a family member in Mexico who was a hitman and Lulu said maybe we can use him and so Mundo of course wanted to know more so he walked up to her and said yeah (laughs) so he was like uh you mean that you want to have him uh go away like this and he made like a gun signal with his hand and yeah and then she said yes and then mundo said well i've got people that can do it and lulu said okay let's talk so you know he knew exactly what he was doing he was going to yeah like uh intercept so that she Mm. couldn't hire a real hitman. So then he immediately called Ramon and he told Ramon that he was going to start recording his conversations with her and see how far she was going to take this. And so um, Ramon called the police and the police actually said that they needed more evidence, but that if he's recording her and recording these, uh, these conversations, bring in the tapes and maybe they can make a case out of it. So and it's like, hey, if somebody's going to do our job for us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what? Like, actually, can you just, <laughs> we can just like just set up the body and yeah, <laughs> we'll see what we can do and we'll take all the credit. Right. So, uh, Mundo started recording her and like she would be laughing, talking about life insurance. Um, She was telling him like how she was going to fake cry when they came to tell her that Ramon was dead. And she told him about how when they went on that trip to Mexico that she had wanted them to go to to Tepito. She planned for them to get kidnapped and that the plan was that they were going to let Lulu go but hold Ramon for ransom. And so, so thank God they didn't go. Yeah. And so one day, um, Munda asked her for the money, um, to give to the people that were supposedly going to carry out the hit. Um, and he asked her again, are you sure you want him killed? And she said, yes, 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 definitely. So oh, that's, um, that's uh, pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, pretty clear. Uh, so, but she said, she told them that she would give them the money after it was done. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ramon ended up actually, <laughs> this is wild. Ramon bought a burner phone and he pretended to be the hitman communicating with her. So he pretended to be the hitman that she was hiring to kill him. And so he asked, he used, um, Mundo taught him how to talk like a hitman and like their like lingo that they use. So he asked her for $200 for the toy. Um, the toy is, was the gun that he needed yeah. to purchase. And so, um, so she ended up giving the $200 to Mundo for that. And so they thought that that was enough evidence to finally take to the police. Yeah. So they did. And the police separated Mundo and Ramon and made sure that like when they questioned them, that their stories were lining up, that they were telling the truth. Um, and so when they determined that they were, the Houston police contacted the FBI and then the FBI intervened and they had to then conduct their own investigation with their own surveillance and an undercover officer. Um, so 
they set up a sting operation um, meeting Lulu in a parking lot. And so they needed to figure out because they still at this point know, like, don't know, is was she like this like scared woman who was just trying to protect herself? Oh, right. Because um, she did, had filed charges and right had the rumors. Yeah. 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 Or did she maybe just want him beat up, but she didn't really want him like murdered? Yeah. And so when the undercover officer met with her in the parking lot, she was like flirting heavily with him and laughing. Um, and they asked her if, you know, if she wanted him dead. And she said, yes, he's ruining my life. And so then she handed over watches, keychains, jewelry, a thousand dollars, and then offered to give um, this undercover officer Ramon's truck after he was dead. Cool. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, she had definitely committed the crime. You know, right. she had tur- like said yes, and she turned over all this money to pay for the hit. So it was also determined that Lulu wanted Ramon dead before the divorce was finalized because otherwise his kids would get everything. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the FBI told Ramon, like, look, we have enough evidence to arrest her. Like, we can arrest her. But, you know, she's a gorgeous woman. She's been telling people that you've been abusive. The jury Mm -hmm. might take sympathy on her. And we need this to be an airtight case. So they told Ramon that what we need from you is for you to stage your own death. And he agreed. So. Yeah. So the FBI put like makeup on his forehead to look like a bullet wound. And then they drove him out to a grave site that they had dug up. And so they put him in this grave and had him put his hands behind his back, close his eyes. And then they took pictures. Um, And the worst part about it was that he couldn't tell anyone. He just had to disappear. So he oh, knew his kids. So he couldn't even tell. Yeah. Yeah. That they were all worried about it, would be worried about him. So, um, Days later, the undercover FBI agent met Lulu in a parking lot to show her the pictures of Ramon. Yeah. Um, And she had asked if he fought back, if he was scared. And when they showed her the pictures, she smiled and said, is he really dead? He's not getting out of that hole, right? And when they said, no, he's not, she did a, like, raise the roof with her hands. Oh, Jesus. I know. It's, like, so fucking cold. It's disgusting. Um, so and I'm July- sure they got that all on tape. Yes, it's all right. On so yeah, that's got to be like the most damning, right? <laughs> to like show that to a jury, just someone being like, "Woo!" Oh, absolutely. But they yeah. kept going with it. Mm. So then on July 24, 2015, Lulu called Ramon's sister and told him that Ramon was missing and that he hadn't been to work. And so she started calling uh, Ramon's sister, started calling him and texting him, and she was worried. She went to his home, and by the time she got there, she saw the police and ambulance were at his house Hmm. Um, and the police were um, there investigating a missing persons report and they interviewed Lulu. The reason that they kept going with this was the point was to build a case to show like how cold and manipulative she was and how good of a liar she was. So when they interviewed her, she told the detectives that the last time she saw him was on Wednesday the 16th and that's when police arrested her right there. Mm. Um, and at this point, Ramon is still in hiding. Um, but they call the police called them and told him that he had, uh, that she had officially been arrested. And Ramon said he had mixed emotions, you know, sure. It was his wife, right? He couldn't believe that this was the mm. woman that he married. And, and he was also sad because he knew that his family was like worried sick about him. Yeah. Um, but then he was finally able to be brought back to the uh, station and he was able to call his family and they were hysterical, especially because like oh. it was all over the news. Lulu had been arrested for his attempted murder and mm. they didn't know where he was. So when his mom found out that he was alive, she was so happy. And she uh, apparently when she saw Mundo, she ran up to him and thanked him for saving her son's life. I mean, because truly, it, just he did. him. Yeah, him overhearing and being curious and then being like, I'm going to help you no matter what. Like the fact that yeah. he like taped himself. I mean, that's dangerous. Like he truly saved his life. Yeah. 
And he could have just like overheard that and been like, oh, she's not serious. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? And um, just minded his own business. And right. So, so Ramon lived in fear until the trial because he was just like, you know, she's crazy. What else could she be doing or who else could she be talking to? You know, she ended up play- pleading guilty to the solicitation of murder, uh, which would give her, her a 20-year sentence um, mm-hmm. because there was so much evidence again against her that she knew that if she would have like pled not guilty, she would have gotten life in prison. Right. Um, so in court, Ramon told Lulu that he forgave her and that he was going to move on. He said it was his only way for him to move on. Uh, to for him to move forward for himself was to forgive her. Um, yeah. he, he said that she uh, that he walked out of that courtroom in peace, but that you know, and she's still in prison to this day, and she's been denied parole every time she's up for parole. And in 2017, Ramon closed his gym, but he wrote a book called "I Walked on My Own Grave" in 2019. Um, and he said that the book helped him to heal and he used his story for something positive. Um, and he's in love again and he's engaged. <gasps> Lovely. Mm-hmm. And he said that he'll forever be indebted to his friend Mundo. Yeah. So if anybody wants to hear more about this story, you can buy his book, I Walked on My Own Grave. Uh, it's available on Amazon. So that's my story. That's awesome. Great job. Yeah. It's one of those stories where nobody gets hurt, but it could have gone very badly. Like nobody gets hurt, but the the bad guy goes to jail. And I like those. Yeah. (laughs) I like those very much. Good job. Thank you. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a love story? I am. Okay. This is one of our favorite kinds of love story because it is a story about friendship it is a story about music, and it is a story about how the kindness of strangers brings people together. Okay. Okay. So I got my information from an uh, article on the Washington Post by our girl Sydney Page um, uh, and on People.com by Michelle Budin. Uh, 26-year-old Ali Azmazalda had nothing when he arrived in Los Angeles. He had fled his native Afghanistan after the Taliban seized control in August of 2021. He, in Afghanistan, Ali was a famous violinist. Um, He had played for five years in the band for the TV show Afghan Star, which is Afghanistan's equivalent of American Idol. Got it. So he was like (laughs) in the band that backed all the singers. And so his face was always on TV and it was like the biggest show in Afghanistan. So he said, people knew me because I was on screen and in music shows. He had also toured in the United States in 2013 with a youth orchestra. He performed at uh, the Kennedy Center in DC and at Carnegie Hall in Manhattan. Um, And so he had traveled all around Europe, all around the world playing his violin, but he always came back to his home in Afghanistan. He said, for the most part in Afghanistan, I had a good life. But that all changed when the Taliban took power. The Taliban prohibited playing music in Afghanistan and possessing an instrument is considered a crime. So Ali oh, wow. felt, yeah, that felt that because he was a famous musician in his country that he had no choice but to flee and to leave his family behind. He said he was so scared and then he burned his sheet music and destroyed all of his instruments except for his violin when the Taliban seized control because they would search houses in the city and if you were found to have any kind of music like sheet music, a musical instrument, um, you could go to jail or worse. So Fortunately for Ali, he had applied for a visa in 2016. And at the time, he had been was working for a tech company. So he would have been eligible for a special immigrant visa. So um, that was in 2016. And he was hoping like, oh, I can move to the United States and then eventually pursue a career in music. But visas take forever if you even ever get one. And so it, it took six years to process And so he was finally able to get his visa and he fled Afghanistan as soon as he could. And this was in 2022. He said, when I received the call from U.S. immigration, they said, you can't bring anything from home. Just come to the checkpoint. Don't bring bags, bring nothing, just the clothes you have, no documents, no instruments, nothing. Um, And he said that he, even though he had kept his violin and hidden it um, because he couldn't bear to destroy it, 
he had left it in Afghanistan because he feared that if the Taliban found found it during um, armed checkpoints throughout the city as he was leaving, that they could have hurt him or something else. <laughs> yeah, and this wasn't like an unfounded fear. There are actually many confirmed stories of musicians being harmed and worse. Um, in 2021, Afghan folk singer Fawad Andarabi was taken from his house and killed by the Taliban. Oh my so. God. This is like, and there's just a lot of stories about kind of the abuse and persecution that musicians are facing in Afghanistan. So um, so Ali's first stop was in Doha, Qatar. He was stayed there for several months in different um, refugee camps. And then he was finally sent to Los Angeles. Um, he came, he said he was really sad because he had nothing. He's like, I had no I had no bank account, no money, no clothes. I had no family. I was just by myself. He spent months in Los Angeles looking for a job. He said he started without, I started from zero. It was really hard to start without family and friends. He said, I did everything by myself. I got a driver's license, a job, everything. He was living in a small house with four Spanish speaking roommates who he had trouble communicating with. Um, he ended up getting a job in the stockroom of a clothing store. It was a pretty miserable life. He said he ate eggs for every meal because it was the only thing he knew how to cook. And then one day, he gets a WhatsApp message from a stranger who said that he had a violin for him. And that stranger is a man named Latif Nasser, who is the co-host of Radiolab on NPR. And oh, wow. The, yeah, and the Netflix show Connected. So um, Latif was on a work trip in upstate New York last May, and he got a request from a colleague. Um, the colleague said, hey, can you hand deliver an antique violin across the country? Because you know, he knew that Latif lived in Los Angeles. So the the man whose name is Jeremy Bloom is a sound designer based in Brooklyn. And he had heard about the struggling Afghanistan musician from a friend. And Jeremy happened to have a 110-year-old German-made violin collecting dust in his closet. And so he decided he was going to offer it to Ali because he knew he would put it to good, good use. Um, Jeremy told people, he said, like so many Americans, I can also trace my origins to immigrants fleeing oppression. The instrument was a meaningful gift to me, so it never felt right to sell it. And I've long felt bad that the violin was collecting dust. When I heard of Ali, I immediately knew he could make better use of it. Um, but the problem was because Jeremy was in New York, he had no way of getting the violin to Los Angeles. He said, you don't want to ship an antique violin in the yeah. mail because it's priceless, right? So right. Um, so he found that when he found out that his friend Latif was going to be in New York, but going back to California, he asked him if he would take it on his flight home. Once Latif arrived back in Los Angeles, it took a couple weeks to get the instrument to Ali. He said, I felt like it took us forever to coordinate. He said he actually kind of got irritated because he was like, oh, can you just bring it to the mall? And he didn't realize like, oh, it's because he works there and he doesn't have any minute in between his job to like actually come get it. So he was like, I was in a way, um, I was being very protective of my friend Jeremy. This is the most beautiful gesture, giving someone this priceless violin for free. So he was kind of like, why, why is this guy like not jumping at this chance to get this violin? Um, but then finally, when Latif and Ali finally met, um, Latif realized he was totally wrong about Ali. He said he pulled up into the driveway to deliver the violin and Latif was just waiting for him so excited. He had this huge smile Aww. on. He said it was immediately clear that he wanted this violin so bad. Uh, so Latif said that his parents were also immigrants who had fled to Canada when he, before he was born. And he said that kind strangers had helped his parents get settled. And so and then they had gone on to assist other immigrants. So he said, the more I heard of Ali's story and how deeply alone he was, I decided that I could be that person for him. I could cosmically replay that repay the people that did that for my parents by doing it for him. So he invited Ali over to have dinner with his wife and his two small children, and that soon became a weekly invitation. Latif said it clearly meant a lot to him. He both needed it and was grateful for it. It seemed like it was a gulp of water to a thirsty guy. And Ali said, he just listened to my story. He is my brother. And they both said they've become, he's become part of their family. So Aww. yeah, so in addition to hosting Ali for meals, 
Latif and his wife decided that they were going to go further. Um, he said, we made so many calls and emails to see what we could do for this guy. They ended up finding him an immigration lawyer, a laptop, clothing, groceries. Then he also says that that Ali has done so much more on his own. He is now has a visa. He found a new job um, and he got himself a car. And he now that everything is kind of stable, he is once again turning his attention to music. So on Ali's one year anniversary in the US, um, Latif had him over to celebrate with his family. um, And then he decided to make a post on Twitter about their friendship and his hopes for Ali. So Latif posted, um, he's now in a tricky spot. On one hand, he's grateful for his job and he sends every extra penny to his family in Kabul. On the other hand, he still yearns to study at Juilliard, Berkeley College of Music, and to be the next Yanni or Yo-Yo Ma. He said, we just celebrated his one-year anniversary in the U.S. To market, I wanted to tell his story and try to raise money for him, not for basic needs, but for him to continue the violin lessons he had to stop for two years. I want him to know that the world is rooting for him to make music. So Latif began raising funds in partnership with the nonprofit Teach to Learn, which also raises money for Afghan musicians. But after one day of posting on Twitter... Um, Latif then posted this. He said, wow, Ali and I are gobsmacked. In one day, we blasted past our goal of money for his violin lessons. So we decided to up the goal to what he really wants, music school tuition money. Chip in if you want or can, regardless your gifts, your words, your love is life affirming. They ended up raising over $120,000. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. And Ali said, I know. Ali said he can't believe how so many people have been moved by his story. He said he posted it and the people support it all around the world. I'm really happy. I have hope now. When I left the country, I lost everything. I thought maybe I was going to die. And when I came here, I found hope. I'm so grateful to Latif. He is my best friend. I know. And so Latif said he's glad so many people have been moved by his friend's story. He said, I sit up and I'm reading these responses and emails and DMs and it's just total and so totally bowled over. They make me cry. They're so touching, beautiful. It really struck a chord with a lot of people. His story and different kinds of people, struggling musicians, immigrants and refugees and people in education, all different kinds of people are showing up from so many different sectors of society and they want to help. And he said, that gives me hope. So he said he believes that the story really resonated with people because it reinforces how universal music is and how deep it lodges into our hearts. Um, And Ali said that for the first time in a long while, he has hope about the future. He said, I started from nothing um, when I came to the United States and now I'm happy. I have people, I have support from people who care about me. We have really kind people in the world and it all started through music. He said, I can practice my violin in peace and I am safe and I'm really proud of that. So there you go. I love that. That is a that great beautiful? story. Yes. I yeah. love that. Amazing. All right. Well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. I'll go this first this week. First, Dumb. I'm. I don't really have anything, so I'm just gonna say this guy that's landscaping next to oh, me. Oh, like right know. on cue. I know. So. <laughs> it's actually, actually not as a property manager. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's doing his fucking job. You know what I mean? Like, I I get so many complaints all the time. Every time there's yeah. like. Um, a lo- like a lawnmower or a leaf blower or whatever, like someone's mad about it. And it's like, it's for you. It's to <laughs> right. make your building look nice. Would you like, rather when, we didn't do it? Yeah. When is a good time? When is yeah. a good time for you? <laughs> so I'm very, so what, I'm joking that it's, it's dumb that it's because we're recording, but I'm also, yeah. you know, do your, keep doing your job, man. You're doing great. Good job, guy. <laughs> Keep no, I, <laughs> I, I get irrationally annoyed whenever because it seems like the people next door come and then our people come and it's always like one right after the other and it's like never at the same time. But oh. it's also that I work from home and so like I'm here during the day. When when else are they going to do their jobs? Like yeah. when else? I, like I'm not actually annoyed. I'm just it is. It's like. It, I hate the noise, but also I'm like, I can get up and go move somewhere. So yeah. it's not their fault. They're doing their jobs. Also, my lawn looks amazing. So yeah. 
And you don't have to do it. That, now, see that I can get mad at. Can you hear my dog? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> he's like, it's time. <laughs> Um, something I love, I'm just going to say, I, I love all the women that came with us on Friday to our dance party. Cause we had a great fucking time and, um, and you know, I just love hanging out with people that are totally fine with being stupid and having a good time and yes, un- incredibly uncool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying we were uncool because I mean in our group we won all the costume contests. It's true, we did. We won individual and um yeah, someone in our group won the individual one and then Sally and I won couple. So I guess we were pretty fucking cool. We were pretty in that context. I mean, yeah, we were the coolest. <laughs> we were pretty fucking cool. Um what about I, you? I don't have anything dumb this week because it'll just be me complaining about the same stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Lawn mowers, right? (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) When I call my property manager, um, I would never, it would never occur to me to be like, this is your fault. Stop. (laughs) Tell the, tell you people not to come. It would amaze you. Like what a lot of people think are other people's faults. Yes. When it's, it's not like I've, I just recently had somebody calling me in the middle of the night because the building across the street's alarm was going off. <laughs> and I was like, I have nothing to do with that building. And I couldn't even tell you who to call to make that noise stop. It's just city living. It's you know just, what I yes. mean? Yeah. It's like, yes. Yeah, well, it's like my so. friends in New York. I mean, we always, it's like people in New York, just most people know you just know like if you live in apartments like it's the noise is part of it it is part of it yeah. you're gonna like mm-hmm. you can't just des- you can't decide who you're gonna live next to but like every once in a while you know somebody it would always be like a mom with a new baby and then the neighbors would be like banging on their you know banging on their ceiling and being mm-hmm. like can you keep your baby down it's like this is this is what you signed up for you want to live in new york city you got a city living i know what it is deal with yeah. that yeah, deal with it. Deal with um, that. So that's dumb. People are dumb. Yeah. When uh, I start my own property management uh, business, which I'll never do, but uh, if I did, yeah. my tagline would be like, like, Jen <laughs> O'Neill property management, deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jen, deal with it. And then you hang up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jen O'Neill, deal with it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Deal with that. Deal with that. Yeah. Sorry, oh, that, sorry. That, that'll be my signature on all of my emails. <laughs> <laughs> Best uh, regards, deal with it. <laughs> um, my thing I love, and I think that you actually suggested this show so apologies that it took me so long um but i just started binge watching somebody somewhere oh it's great i know i I have to watch the second season i haven't started yet yes so that i'm so that's that's what makes it um new is because there's a second season i haven't gotten to it yet but the first season i watched it like the last couple days because ben's been out of town and it's yeah it's so good it's so like it's just really beautiful i like it's a feel good show and funny, really funny. And Bridget so. Everett's amazing and everything so talented. She does. I know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it. So anyway, highly recommend that. Um, and that's our show, you guys. Great. We did it. We did it. We did an episode. We hope you like it. <laughs> we hope you like it. Let us know. You can get in touch with us. Um, you can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. You can um, find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, YouTube. We post um, clips of from the show you can see our faces uh you could rate and review you could tell a friend we would love that we would we would love all of those things thank you guys so much for everything we dumb love you so much and don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love dum